Sharon, Denise, come here. Denise and me, we look at each other. Dad is at work. He works at 7-Eleven for $170 a week as a midnight clerk. And let me tell you, 1983, $170 a week, trying to support a family of four, pay rent, utilities, buy food, all that bullshit, not really working out very well. But you know what? That's the only job he could get, so he took it. We had to eat. Mom, well, mom's a nurse, but her being able to keep a job for more than a few weeks is an impossibility. So we're alone with her. And when it's just us and her, weird shit can happen. I looked at my sister. Better see what she wants. Denise and me, we put down the Atari controllers and walk into the living room. Come here. I want to talk to you. Now, Mom has brought two dining room chairs into the middle of the living room, set them up facing each other. She's got all the lights out, candles burning, incense burning. Me and Denise are sitting there going, Okay, you know Mommy loves you more than anything, right? Denise is looking at her, standing a bit behind me. I guess Denise thought I could somehow protect her. I look at my mom. Yes, Mom? And you know I would do anything in the world for you and your sister. Yes, Mom? Come and sit down. I want to tell you two something. We moved to sit in the dining room chairs. Not there, she said. I have to tell you something first. Denise and me, we don't move. Usually, this means some big speech about love and loss. Sometimes, she'll pretend to burn herself with a cigarette to show us how much she actually loves us. We don't know what the hell's going on with those chairs, though, so we just kind of stand right where we are. Come, sit on the sofa, my mom said, but with a bit more force this time. Denise and me, we go over, sit down on the couch. Mom on one end, me in the middle, Denise on the far side. Mom, like I said, she has this incense burning, has just the candlelight going on. I looked at my mom. What is it, Mom? Now, Carol Sue sits there looking at us, weighing the importance of what she's about to tell us. That was my mom always being as dramatic as possible, and she was a horrible actor. You always knew when she was going to say something that was full of shit. She adopted this persona of a really bad soap opera actor, went into these bad Shakespearean gestures and voices, and then announced her edict or wisdom for the day. So Carol Sue sat there sizing us up, probably hoping we would be able to grasp the import of what she was going to share with us. I did something tonight for you and your sister. Ah! So I'm expected to be a respondent in this production. I can do that! What is it, Mom? I ask. She looks at me and Denise for a minute, then leans in close and quiet. Tonight, I sold my soul to Satan. Oh, God. Mom, please. I don't want to hear this. Just let us go back to our room. I did. I did it for you and Denise. Please, Mom, don't. Now, Denise... Denise isn't saying anything. She's just kind of sitting there letting it all sink in. I didn't realize until much later that Denise was often terrified of my mother. By this time, though, I had adopted the psychology of my father. I knew my mom was full of shit, but figured it was my duty to put up with her craziness. I mean, hey, that is what you do when you love someone, right? 
I have sold my soul to the devil so that you and Denise can have a good life. The Lord Satan has agreed to let me live to see you both get out of college and be successful. Now she stops, lets that little bombshell sink in, and then she continues. Once you are both happy and successful, the devil will come and take me home. Mom, please don't say that, okay? Please. You both have to be told this. You both have to understand. Okay, Mom, we understand. Can we go back to our room now? No. And Mom looks pointedly at that point to those two dining room chairs sitting in the middle of the floor. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck. I looked at my mom. What? I have to make sure you and your sister can't be taken over by Satan. What? Sit in that chair there. I get up. Sit down in the chair. Mom sits in the opposite one facing me. Now, Shannon. Because Shannon is the name I used to go by before I turned to Brett. Now, Shannon. Here is what is going to happen. Mom says this, kind of lowers her head. Says the next few words kind of this little low growl. We are going to sit across from each other. It's important to keep eye contact. Don't blink. I am going to let Satan come out through me. You have to keep thinking good thoughts. As long as you don't blink, nothing will happen. As long as you keep thinking pure thoughts, nothing will happen. Satan can't possess you as long as you do. I looked at my mom. Now this, this is some next level crazy shit tonight. I know, I know it's bullshit, but at the same time, I'm only like 12 years old, Denise is 9, so there's a part of me that's sitting there saying, it could be real. I looked at my mom, mom, I don't want to do this, please. You each have to. It's the only way, the only way to be safe. I have to make sure you and Denise are going to be okay. So we sat there, facing each other, not saying a word. Mom let the hatred and evil come out through her eyes, and I sat there defending myself, thinking happy Jesus thoughts and steady eye contact. I don't know how long I sat there being tested, but I guess it was long enough. Mom finally breaks eye contact, sits back. That's good. You really do love your mommy. Yes, Mom. Denise, come over here. You know, I still remember. I still remember Denise sitting in that chair, across from her mother, trying not to blink. Such was the life of Brett and Denise Johnson. When Dad was home, we tended to be left alone. Every now and then, Mom would bring out a cigarette and perform the old fake cigarette loveburn trick. But mostly, she was concentrated on attacking my father. Welcome to this episode of the Angler Fish Podcast where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. 
The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. How did I get that title? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's Darknet and Darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. Mom leaves my dad. We all moved to Eastern Kentucky. Me, Denise, and Mom moved to Eastern Kentucky. And she starts to date these guys. There's no other way to say it. They're fucking idiots, man. The first guy she dated was this guy named Nick Nichols, who had murdered his girlfriend, claimed that he had a blackout when the murder happened, and gotten off on it. Right. He had never served a day of prison time, so mom comes home and is kind of bragging about this. Oh, he owns his own coal company? Yes, he murdered this girl, but he doesn't remember it. It wasn't his fault. So she starts to date these murderers and telling us about it. So then she meets Jimmy Branson. Eventually. Eventually. After several months of this, she meets Jimmy. There was some drugs involved in there that, was, There was. There was a lot because she was addicted to Valium. She was doing opiates. I was wondering if maybe there were drugs involved with Nick Nichols as well. Oh, absolutely. Nick Nichols was a Coke dealer. And the way she met Jimmy, she was at this place called the Colonial Club. She's walking in. Jimmy is standing outside with a couple of his buddies. And Jimmy, because he was that suave, debonair guy, as mom is walking in, he looks at her and he's like, hey, baby, how about you and me go and make some babies? And what does mom do? She stops right there, looks at him up and down and says, let's go. That story was retold many times. Many times. She was proud of this story. So they start dating each other, and you can talk about some of that, because you told me this one story, because Mom used to take us, we would all go to Jimmy's trailer, Jimmy would load up his boys, and when I say his boys, I mean his buddies, and go to this trailer that he had on Lake in Tennessee, me, you, and Mom would go with him, one bedroom trailer, Jimmy and Mom would spend the weekend in the trailer screwing, while me and you hung out with his boys. Now, we were minors. You were maybe 13. One of them takes a liking to you. As far as that's concerned, I remember being there at that trailer. And I wasn't completely stupid. I mean, I knew what was up. I tried to avoid him so I could avoid being molested. She knew. I mean, she had to have known. She saw what this person was doing. And I remember you and I were sleeping in his Bronco, in the back of the Bronco. And so it was summer, so it was hot, so we had the windows down. So she's in the bedroom with Jimmy in the trailer, and he's drinking quite a bit, and he comes out, unlocks the door, 
and climbs in the Bronco and starts climbing back in the back with you and I. Right. And I was like, oh, hell no. I know what's up here. That's not happening to me today. And so I get out of the Bronco, push past him, get out of the Bronco. I go in, the door to the bedroom's closed. There's all these guys in this trailer. And so I push past all of them. I go to the door. I bang on the door. The door is locked. And they're basically like, go away. And I was like, no. So I keep banging. I'm a nuisance. So finally, the door opens. And Mom's got like a sheet around her and he's in the bed naked and I'm like this guy is in the Bronco and he crawls in there with us and Brett's still out there and Jimmy's like oh he's a good guy blah 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 she's like oh nothing I was like no Brett's still out there you've got to go get him and I'm thinking, you know, I know he was going to molest me. I knew that was coming. Right, right. But he's still in the Bronco with Brett. And so he's going to molest Brett. And you've got to go do something. You've got to go get him. Or make the guy get out of the Bronco. She doesn't. She doesn't. She just gets back in the bed with him. And so she's like, you can lay on the floor here beside us. And I'm like. No, you've got to go get him. And I'm so sorry. Well, you know, I'm I, so I was sorry <laughs> because I was too terrified to go. And I hated being in the bedroom with, with her and this guy in the bed, you know, having sex. And I'm like, but I was too terrified to go help you. And I was too terrified to leave. You know, if I was with you, I felt safe. But then that guy came and I was like, I knew what was going to happen. Well, and the, I'm sorry. No, I, I just see you don't. I, I should have went back out there and tried to help you. To me, I should be the one apologizing. I was the brother, the older one. I should have been protecting you during that time. Well, see, that's what mom used to tell you. She used to tell you that you had to protect me. So I became that protector. That was a lot of my duty, and and she knew that when she separated from dad. A couple of the separations that went on when we were kids. She would always tell me and you that our dad was not our dad, that she had cheated on dad, and he was not her father. And then when she was with these other men, especially when she was Jimmy, and I don't know if you ever knew that or not, but she would, you know, they started running this illegal coal mine, and she would go up to that, and she would come home and tell me how Jimmy had raped her and wanted me to do something about it. And when you're that young, I mean, you don't know that, that your mom's just kind of fucking with you, that she's just a, being an abusive parent, you know, manipulating you and everything else. So I would believe that, man. I would believe that Jimmy had raped her, had beaten and raped her over the weekend. So here I am. Let's fight. Let's take care of that shit right now. You know, I think you came to terms with that abuse Mom was an abusive person. She could be physical, but it was mostly the mental, emotional, verbal stuff. Oh, yeah, stuff. she could be physical. I remember her. There was a lot of mental. I remember her beating us with the buckle end of the belt. Until we got old enough to take it away from uh -huh. her. Uh-huh. Until finally one day she was doing that, and it was over nothing. And every time the latch on the belt would hit you, yeah. it would make a blood blister. Yeah, it, it would definitely leave a mark. And so... I remember that last one, and I was like, I've had it with your shit. 
yeah. you're not going to do that to me anymore. I was, I was down. I was on the bed in a trailer, and she was beating us. And I was like, fuck this. And so I just hauled back with both feet and kicked her. Do you remember that? Through and I, I kicked her through the closet door. And she got back up, and of course she was livid. And when she got like that, that's when she wanted more than just blood. She wanted to kill you. And so every time she got up and headed toward me, I'd kick her again. I was like, no, I'm done. You're not doing that to me anymore. That's the end of that. So that stopped the beatings. <laughs> For the most part. You knew when she got a weapon that you're in trouble. And the thing is, she was sneaky. Do you remember Jimmy and the spaghetti sauce? Oh, yeah. So she decided she was going to kill him, I guess one of the times she decided. And so we'd come in, you'd gotten enough money, that's a whole story, to buy that used Cadillac and it would overheat. And so we came in from school and she smiled at us and said, don't eat the spaghetti sauce. You knew something was wrong because it was the tone of voice and the way she would smile. Yeah. And so I looked at you, you had went down the hall like toward the bathroom. And I was like, dude, She's Don't done, eat the spaghetti she's sauce, done dude. To the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I was like, thumbs up. And so she had poisoned the spaghetti sauce with. Decon. Well, then it was Decon later regular. that she gave him she digitalis. digitalis. She put digitalis in his food to affect his heart. Right. I was like, holy fuck. And so basically, you're all eating, right? Or having a meal because she's cooked. Right. Wow. And that in itself should be in an alarm bell. And you know that what he's eating is poison. But you don't dare say a word because if you say something, you're the next target. And so, anyway. Yeah, you're the next on the list. I don't know list. if she's psychotic. <laughs> you know, her dad, he was totally crazy. Like, he heard was crazy. things that weren't there, and he saw things that weren't there. Fire guns in the house. And he did that. it was a hair trigger. You didn't know which side he was on. He and she nice was like that second. too. No, he could literally be nice one right. second and, and just yeah. the, the meanest person on the planet the next. Absolutely. Yeah. The next minute I want to be clear to people out there listening. This was not just something that happened mm -hmm. while we were children or once. A lot of people out there have heard me talking about me and you being eight and nine probably. Dad is at work. We're at the house alone with mom. We're in the bedroom playing Atari, and we hear mom yelling for us, Shannon, Denise, come here. And we're both like, what now? So we walk in the living room, and mom's got all the lights out. She's got these candles burning, got the incense going on, and she's got these two kitchen chairs set up, and she looks at us. She's like, I want to talk to you. Like what, mother? I have sold my soul All the bad choices to she made Satan. were choices she had to make, and it was because of us. And this time it was because she wanted to see us through college. Once we both graduated from college, the Lord Satan was going to call her home. But we had to prove that we were worthy. And the way we proved that we were worthy, we would sit and face her and keep eye contact. We couldn't blink. And she would let Lord Satan come out through her eyes, and we were supposed to think happy Jesus thoughts and defend ourselves against the possession of it Satan. Wasn't that much of a and you were the no, first one on the hook. I mean, seriously, 
there was so much bad shit going on okay. that it was not such a stretch to think that there was Satan or the devil inside her. Oh, no, no. And it continued past when we were children. That. I mean, I you went to Berea. I morphing into fight the devil in me. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. same version. Or I'm going to tell you this story about this woman that moved to a foreign land. Yep. And she had children. And the invaders were coming in. Yep. And they were going to kill those children. Well, she would leave. And then she'd say that we were the children. Absolutely. And she was going to kill us, and it was necessary. Or if it wasn't that, it was always, and this was common. Convince me I don't have to kill you. She would be sitting there, and we'd be going to school, about to go to school, or just come home from school, and it would start. It would be like, one of these days I'm going to leave and never come back. One of these days you're going to find me dead behind a service station. I'm better off dead than being here with you. I've given up everything for you. Yeah. It was always that. And it continues today as an adult. You know, you've not talked to mom. I really had a conversation with her, I think probably a decade or longer. Oh, it's been longer than that. It's been like 15 yeah. years. Yeah. You got away from it before I was able to. And it took me many more years to, to come to terms with the abuse. But you went to Berea. Berea is one of the top 50 schools in the United States. It's a free college. You worked your ass off to get through it and everything else. Mom finds out that you have a boyfriend in Berea. So what does she do? And I was there. Mom loads up, gets me in the car, gets her mom in the car, drives to Berea. She walks into the president's office and proceeds to tell the president that your boyfriend at the time, his name was Mark, tells the president of Berea College that Mark is a drug dealer and a pimp and has you hooked on drugs and that you're prostituting yourself and that she wants you thrown out of school because that's the best thing that can happen. That way you can come back home. Then she proceeds to go down to where Mark is living, tells all the neighbors the exact same thing, and almost gets you thrown out of college because mom is very convincing. As you said, she's very charismatic. She's very convincing. The only thing that happens is, is that she cannot sustain the lie long enough. These lies start to fall apart because she's crazy at the same time. So that's the only thing that really saved you was that the lie started to fall apart before you could be thrown out. She, what the college told me is that she had went to each of the departments. She had. It was all day everybody. long. It was all day and long. so since it was a religious school based on Christianity, they actually brought me up on charges to see if they were going Jeez. to kick me out of the school. And I think you know, really what it amounted to was not so much that I had a boyfriend. What it amounted to was I was not home with her and she was losing control sure. over me. Well, and she wanted me point. to be there so she could manipulate me and have me under her thumb. I was her that. property. We, that, exactly. We were property. So if we've ever had a relationship that interferes with us being her property, we should only love her. So if we, if we ever love anyone else, she takes offense to that and tries to do whatever she can to stop it. Like your current husband, she's been very big about through the years saying that he cheats on you, that people have told her that he's cheating on you, blah, 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 blah. She's done the exact same thing with my first wife, with Michelle now. She's always trying to end those relationships. Yeah, even with our friends. I never had friends really growing up. We moved so much, but 
it was more than that. She didn't even want you playing with other kids. You know, it was, I need to know where you are and what you're doing. Your attention should be going to me. And, you know, even when my friend Carol in high school, I went to um, church with her because, you know, Jesus needs to fight the devil inside her. (laughs) So that occasionally going to church with her would be okay. So the youth group of the church went to Pizza Hut. She decided that Carol was a threat to her. And so there was a whole fiasco at the Pizza Hut where she came in and made quite a scene and cussed out the visiting preacher and the preacher's wives. And anyway, there were adults that were there too, and they all got it. So I went and got in the car hoping to draw her away from attacking them to the car. And so she got in the car and she said, don't even think about jumping out of this car. And so I jumped out of the car. Of course. The car was moving. <laughs> I was like, you know what? That's a good idea right there. That's the probably the best That's plan the right there. The best thing I could do is get as far as possible away from you. And so anywhere would probably be better than this. I jumped out of the car and she proceeded to try to hit me with the car. Those adults had seen that. So to make a long story short, Carol went to Berea. So when they brought me up on charges at Berea, they said, you know, she says that you're on drugs and you've been brainwashed and this guy is pimping you out. And I'm thinking, what the hell? You know, there's been some attempted pimping out done, but it wasn't It wasn't from him. (laughs) I kind of left that. You know, I feel like a lot of my childhood was spent trying to avoid being molested. I was constantly trying to avoid that. As best I could as a kid, I was not always successful. And so anyway, I said to the guy at Berea when he called me in and told me that we're bringing you up on charges, you're going to meet and they're going to have a hearing. And I said, listen, my mother is crazy. And of course, he didn't believe me. And I said, okay, so... Here's the deal. You need to call Jim and Jane Miller. They are Carol's guardians. So that's what saved you right there. They called Jim and Jane Miller, and they called me back in, and you know what they said to me? We're going to protect you. Jesus, There are no charges anymore. We're taking you off all our records, so if someone calls the college looking for you, you are no longer in our directory, and we're going to move your dorm. So that's the only thing that's saved you right there. Exactly. We're going to put you in another dorm so nobody knows you're here yeah. and nobody knows where you are. I'm so sorry They can't sorry walk that, in and find you. And but so I had, the college uh, basically... They protected me for yeah. the remainder of time that I went to school there because they realized, I don't know what Jim and Jane told them. And really, Jim and Jane had only seen little, they saw the downtown Pizza Hut incident. Right. They didn't have a clue, really, how bad it was at home for us. I don't think they knew at all what we really were going through. You know, you're always the one that was wanting to get away from it. You got away from it before I did. I had tried to, you you didn't know this, but she had worked for a little while as a nurse before she got fired for stealing drugs off the medicine cart. She'd put stuff in her pockets, and so she had brought home like a syringe, an empty syringe. I had gotten in, we had a bedroom then, remember? Right. First time we'd had a bedroom in years, we'd slept on the living room floor for a long time, and then finally they got a pull-out sofa. But we finally got a room, which we shared. And so I'd gotten in the closet 
and actually filled that syringe up with air and put the syringe. I corded off my arm, put the syringe in my vein, and I was going to inject air into my vein so that I would either, you know, stroke out or cause my heart to stop. That was the goal. But in the closet, I decided, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to survive. That's what I'm going to do. This is not going to be the end of me. I will overcome this. I finally, it was like my mind just fixated on, I am going to make it out of this. And I do not and will not have to live this way and do this anymore. I will make it out of here. And when my chance comes, I'm taking it. I'm really glad you, you were able to get away from it. I guess it's that Eastern Kentucky mentality. You know, the male is expected to stick around. So that's what I did. And of course, mom drug me to every single crime and everything else she was committing and all that. The first girlfriend I had was Christy Roberts. And mom tried like hell to end that. I was in theater, man, and I had that, had a scholarship. A guy comes in from San Jose State, sees me on stage. He's the head of the theater department in San Jose. Sees me on stage and offers me a four-year full-paid scholarship to San Jose State University. And I took it. I took that. He goes back home. He flies back in a couple weeks later to talk to me. I'm, I'm in airport gardens. He gets out of the car, and I walk up to him. I'm like, hey, let me walk you in. He's like, no, I'll go in and introduce yourself to your mom. I'm like, okay. So he walks in. He's in there maybe 10 or 15 minutes, walks out, doesn't say a word to me, gets in the car, drives off, and I never hear from the guy again. And it took me a few weeks to find out that what had happened was he gets in there and tells my mom that I'm going to uh, be a big star in California. And she gets a knife, looks at him and says, I will kill you right where you stand, you son of a bitch, if you try to steal my son. And he gets so scared that he leaves and I never hear from the guy again. It took me another three or four years. I got married to Susan after that, about three years later. We're going to continue our next episode talking about, of all people, Dad! We'll see how that goes. But as, as you can tell by listening, we handle this, we process it a lot differently. I process it with a lot of laughter because I think that if I took time to look back at it, that I may not stop crying or whatever. I think she handles it a lot better. She doesn't really uh, look at it with a lot of humor. No, I don't find it funny. I mean, right. you might hear me laughing. It's not because I'm amused or I find it even slightly funny. You know, I, I find it deadly serious and it's something that it breaks you. And it does. It's amazing. You're what, not uh, going to completely recover from. You can survive and you can take strength in the thought that you've survived, but it's always going to warp your perspective. And You know, it's amazing what, what a parent or what an adult can do to a child with their actions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. 
please tell your friends about us, rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.